Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. I am so glad that you're here, that I have the opportunity to be with you. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a crazy, crazy weekend. We've got some crazy ones coming up, but I'm thankful that each and every one of you are joining with us all across this region, probably all across the nation. So thankful for that. You know, usually we're one church in a dozen locations. Now we're one church in thousands of locations. We're actually living out what it said in Acts chapter 2 that they met from house to house. They didn't just meet in the temple courts. They met house to house. And because of the technology that God has provided for us, we're able to leverage. We've been doing this for a long time online. We get to leverage that technology to speak to you today and to be in dialogue with you today. And listen, I want you to take complete advantage of that today. There are lots of different ways you can interact. We've got a lot of people in the chat today. You can talk to your specific campus pastor. You can uh, talk to any one of us and we'd love to get that uh, conversation going. And another thing I'd love to see is uh, there are opportunities for you to hit the, the heart button or the like button and just do whatever we can to create that dialogue. And I'll tell you what, if I tell a joke, I need you to just like smack that thing like crazy uh, because there's no way I'm gonna be able to know if it was any good or if it was a terrible joke or not. But I have to tell you that uh, God has blessed us. A lot of churches are scrambling right now, but uh, we have the opportunity to be calm and just to move forward in faith, realizing that God is greater than uh, any circumstance, and that means he's greater than this circumstance. You know, along with that, uh, I was preaching this sermon on Thursday, and that was the last time that we did a live service, and it occurred to me for the first time that uh, it very well could be that this weekend that we wouldn't be able to meet like in groups in our, uh, in our buildings. And uh, you know, sometimes you don't truly appreciate a thing until you don't have it. And we just spent 10 weeks in a series called Closed on Sunday. And in that uh, series, we talked about how crucial it is that we don't forsake uh, assembling and meeting together, how critical that is. And I, I, I almost feel like God's putting an exclamation point on that because what he wants us to do is recognize just how valuable it is. And I have to tell you, that's exactly how I felt and how I feel right now. How much I miss the fact that we are not all together in uh, our buildings across this uh, region. And I'll tell you what that means. It means that when uh, this problem is passed and we're beyond it, that it's going to be like a revival. Revival, when we all get back together and we recognized in a completely new and fresh way just how important and how valuable it is for us to spend that time together. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, you know what? There's a lot of things going in the, on in the world right now. I mean, we've been dealing for months now with the election and all that coverage. We're dealing with uh, uh, world events like uh, Afghanistan, the pullout from Afghanistan. We're dealing with trade negotiations. But you know that the biggest thing that we're dealing with right now and all of uh, the headlines have to do with COVID-19 or the coronavirus and how that's affecting people and uh, the, the massive fear and panic 
that's happening all across the world. I mean, it's shutting down, literally shutting down whole countries like China and Italy. And now uh, we can see that, you know, Europe now, all this is developing. And, you know, we've been told uh, how to wash our hands. Uh, uh, we have to wash our hands for at least 20 seconds. Uh, we have to avoid close quarter crowds. We have to be away from cruise ships and airplanes and concerts have been canceled. Uh, March Madness has become March Sadness and uh, uh, the NBA is canceled and our schools are all closing and wow, it can be pretty alarming. And we're being told during all of that not to panic. While every bit of the news coverage is hitting every trigger mechanism that we have, and that's why everybody's you know, scared and running out and getting toilet paper and hand sanitizer and all this other stuff. You know what I think? I think that in spite of all of that, there's a lot going on in your individual world right now. There are challenges that you're facing right now. Challenges in relationships, challenges with money, challenges with the future, challenges with the past, like trying to put your past in your past, and, and that's hard. There's all sorts of complicated things that are happening in your life right now. Speaking of complicated, I was looking on Facebook this week as I was preparing for the sermon, and you actually have 11 different choices to define your relationship status. Now, I'll tell you what, that's complicated. And do you know why it's complicated? It's complicated because you're complicated. It's complicated because I'm complicated. It's complicated because life itself is complicated. And every step you take in this life is complicated. You know, one of my favorite uh, movies and books before that is Lord of the Rings. And, uh, you know, Frodo is uh, kind of the star of the show. And his uncle Bilbo is uh, uh, the star of The Hobbit. And uh, he relates something that Bilbo uh, tells him and shares that with his friend Sam. And uh, it, it is one of those little golden nuggets in uh, Lord of the Rings. And this is the quote that he gives. It's a dangerous thing, a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Well, that's really true for our lives, isn't it? I mean, there's ever a time when we would actually connect with a thought about being dangerous to actually step out your door with all this panicky feeling inside. You know what's even harder? What's even harder is if we feel like we're alone. You know, there's so much of this social distancing and isolation and quarantine and all this. It's even harder when we feel like we're walking alone, like nobody really understands what's going on inside of us. And you know what the truth is? We can be surrounded by family and friends and feel completely isolated and alone at the same time. And you know what that comes from? It comes from the fact that really nobody knows us, what's going on inside of us, knows us completely. Well, that's not true, is it? That's actually not true at all because there is someone who does know us, somebody who walked this path of life and says, I am willing to walk life with you. The question today is this. It's whether or not you want someone to walk with you or if 
in your life you would rather walk alone. And you know what I believe? I believe that we don't want to do that. You know, this last series that we did, uh, closed on Sunday, was, uh, was based off of uh, Kanye West's song from Jesus is King. But long before that, Kanye West had a smash hit. It actually came out in 2004. It's been revised a couple of times, and it's also on that album. And it's called Jesus Walks. And there's a chorus in that song that I think profoundly reflects how a lot of people feel. It says this, God, show me the way because the devil's trying to break me down. The only thing that I pray is that my feet don't fail me now. And I don't think there is nothing I can do now to right my wrongs. I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we ain't spoken so long. And that sense of isolation, I think, is coming from walking alone. And I think if we want Jesus to walk with us, and Jesus does want to walk with us, if we want that, then we need to go back and walk with him. That's why this series is called Jesus Walks. Because we can go back with him and we can walk with him and that'll empower us to understand how he can walk with us. We need to understand that he can walk with us because when we understand what he walked through, then that'll enable us to understand that he can walk with us when we're walking through things as well. Jesus understands isolation. He understands the feeling of being alone. He understands being betrayed and experiencing the ultimate unfairness so that he could walk with us. You know, he experienced all that because he loves us that much. Well, that walk begins, and this walk that we're going to do over the next few weeks begins with a walk to the Last Supper. Now, the last week of Jesus' life was dark. It was actually extremely dark. And it begins with a Friday meal, not, not uh, the Friday of the crucifixion, but the week before, actually before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. And that meal was happening at a house, uh, the ho- in, in uh, Bethany called the House of Simon the Leper. Now, how would you like to have a name like that? Hi, my name is uh, Simon the Leper. That, that's somebody you wouldn't want to extend a hand to, right? That would definitely be an elbow bump or something like that. Well, here we are worried about coronavirus. Imagine being invited to a meal at Simon the Leper's house. Not exactly appetizing, right? Except for maybe we don't understand the whole story behind Simon the leper because what Jesus did was changed his identity in a moment because a man who had suffered the isolation of leprosy was suddenly completely healed by Jesus and he wasn't a leper anymore. So they could celebrate the healing. They could celebrate the change in this guy's life. And of course that happened in that meal. But that isn't even the greatest story at this particular meal. There was a guest that was even more profoundly uh, there than Simon the leper. And that was a man by the name of Lazarus. Now Lazarus was a guy who'd literally been dead and buried for four days. Can you imagine having a dinner party, being at a dinner party with a guy who'd been healed from leprosy and a guy over there 
that had been dead in the tomb, wrapped up for four days, and then comes out of the tomb when Jesus calls him out of the tomb. How incredible would it be to be invited to that? And what a time of celebration, how Jesus could reverse the irreversible, how he could take a person who was identified as a leper and make him clean and whole and new, and then he could take a guy who'd been dead for four days and make him alive and, and kind of a head of the table sort of guy at a, at a dinner party. I would have loved to have been invited to that one, right? So like in the middle of this meal, and you could just tell that it was just so upbeat, so praiseworthy, so exciting. In the middle of this meal, Mary, Lazarus's sister, leaves the table and comes back with an alabaster vial. And it was a vial that was sealed. The only way it could be opened was to be broken. And this vial contained something called pure nard. It was made from the spikenard plant, and it was this uh, extremely pungent odor. As a matter of fact, if this were made into an essential oil, it would be by far the most expensive. At the time uh, that this uh, nard was opened, just one small vial of it was worth a year's wages. Think about just one vial of this being thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And what Mary does out of her love for Jesus is she comes into that room, breaks this open. It can't be resealed pours it, anoints Jesus with it. And this pungent odor of pure nard fills the whole room. Now, what was it used for? It wasn't like a perfume that you would be like an attraction thing or attractive thing. It was actually used for people after they died to anoint their bodies as they were decaying so that you wouldn't smell the smell of decay. And so that's why it was so strong. So it was not something uh, that you would uh, normally associate with a dinner party. And I, I think it's beautiful because Mary didn't have a need for it anymore because how Jesus had reversed the irreversible with Lazarus. I'm sure it was going to be used for Lazarus after he'd been in that tomb for a while, but it wasn't necessary because Jesus changed, changed everything. And it started to fill the room. And still, it's like this total praise-worthy time and then Jesus says this thing that just lets all the air out of the room, lets all the joy out of the room. Some people are arguing because they're saying, hey, she could have sold that and the money could have been given to the poor, shouldn't have wasted that by anointing Jesus. And Jesus says, hold on now. Mary is anointing me for my burial. Wow, that's dark. And I would imagine in all this joy, everybody would have been saying, why would you have to say that for? What a downer. But I want you to see through this, okay? I want you to understand what's actually going on. Because Jesus is prophesying the immediate future, his immediate future, and their collective immediate future. You know why? Jesus knows the future. He knows what's going to happen to him a week from that day. Jesus knows the future. He's not surprised by the future. He is not freaked out by the future. He literally walks toward the future. He knows that in a couple of days on Sunday, uh, he's going to be the top of the Mount of Olives. 
He's going to be heading into the city of Jerusalem, and people on that Sunday morning are going to start revering him. They're going to start yelling, Hosanna. They're going to put him on the colt of a donkey. They're going to throw their coats and uh, you know outer wraps down on the ground and palm branches, and they're going to say, Hosanna to the name of the Lord. They're going to declare him the Messiah. But he also knows that the same people who are saying that on Sunday morning are going to be yelling, crucify him on Friday. Do you know why he knows that? Because Jesus knows the future. When he was preparing for the Last Supper, the Thursday night, the following Thursday night after that Friday uh, meal and the night before his crucifixion on Friday, he shows you just how well he knows the future. In Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 13, listen to what he says and listen to how specific it is. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. That's pretty general, right? Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. Listen to this. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters And say to the owner of that house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where we may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Here's what I want you to see from that. Jesus knew every detail of what they were supposed to do. You're going to meet a guy at a particular street at a particular time. He's going to have a water jar. I want you to follow him. He's going to think you're weird, like some some kind of stalker. But you just you just follow him. He's going to enter a house. When he enters the house, you enter the house. Tell the owner. I mean, literally, every little step, every fine little detail, and Jesus knew that. You know why? Jesus knows the future. In Mark chapter 14, verses 18 to 20, Jesus tells you a little bit more about the future. This is while they're having their meal, their Passover meal. It says, while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened, and one by one, they said to him, surely not I, it is uh, one of the twelve, he replied, the one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Jesus knew who would betray him. He knows who who is going to betray him because he knows the future. He knows every detail about the future. He knew that Judas was sitting at that table. He knew that Judas had already made a deal with the Jewish Sanhedrin. And when Judas put his piece of bread in the dish, Jesus put his and probably looked at him. Because that's when Judas ran out and connected with those Jewish religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. In John chapter 13, verses 36 to 38, he reveals another prophecy. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus knew that he was gonna be denied. He knew that Simon Peter was the one who was gonna deny him. He knew how many times he was gonna deny him. He knew all of that. You know why? Jesus knows the future. He also knew that Passover, the meal that they were sharing, that was a 1,500-year-old ritual in Israel, was all about him. It was all about him when it was instituted 1,500 years before. When you were to take this male lamb, one-year-old, and you were supposed to dispatch it, take its blood, put it over the, on the doorposts and the lintels of your homes... Because God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. He knew that was all about him, that he was the lamb that was to be slain. John the Baptist even prophesied it when Jesus came to be baptized, saying, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that blood that was applied to the doorposts and lintels of houses That was symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that doorpost and lintel makes the shape of a cross, symbolic of the cross that Jesus would bleed to death on. Passover was all about him. The disciples who followed Jesus had no idea of any of these things. They had no idea of the road that Jesus was walking. But Jesus knew because Jesus knows the future. But here's where this connects to you. Jesus doesn't just know the future. He knows your future. He knows the road that you're walking on right now. He knows every detail about the road that you're walking on right now. He knows what led you to this point in your life. He knows every aspect of it. He knows every possible decision that you could make right now from this point And what would come from each one of that infinite number of decisions? Because Jesus knows your future. Now, what do we take from that? You're not surprising him. There's nothing that you're doing in life that Jesus is going, wow, I didn't see that coming. That's nuts. (laughs) He's not surprised at all. Listen, if he can forgive deniers... If he can forgive betrayers, if he can forgive even the people who abandoned him and the people who crucified him, then he can forgive you. He can walk with you. If you're willing to walk with him, he will walk with you. And while you're doing this, listen, Jesus, he wants you to feel his love for you even while you're walking with him. Jesus wants you to walk with him so that he can help you to connect to that love. Why was there a Passover? Why had they been doing this for 1,500 years? It's because Jesus loves you. Because he wants to pass over your sin. Why was there a Last Supper? It's because Jesus loves you. He's preparing himself for the ultimate sacrifice. He's teaching them in in the bread and in the wine what it means, the body and the blood of Jesus. He loves you. 
Why was there a Judas and a Peter? He didn't have to choose those guys. He didn't have to choose any of this. He could have chosen to stay in heaven. He didn't have to choose us. He didn't have to choose to love us, but he did. Jesus is telling you something here. He wants you to feel something here. He wants you to feel his love for you. And it's not just his love, but he wants you to feel the depth of his love. And when you learn this, you want to walk with him. You learn this while you're walking with him. In the book of John, we actually get to go deeper into this moment. Because John relates a story. Jesus, he gets up from the meal, this Passover meal, and he takes off his outer robes and he wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to do this incredibly selfless, servant-based act. He washes the disciples' feet. We read about it in John chapter 13, verses three to five. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this happened relatively early in the meal. What does that mean? It means everyone was still there. A lot of this prophecy stuff hadn't happened yet. It was going to happen later. And this is why that's important. Because as Jesus, in this humble position, was washing feet, he washed a betrayer's feet. He washed Judas's feet. I want you to think about that. He washed a denier's feet. He washed Simon Peter's feet. He washed a doubter's feet. He knew that Thomas was going to doubt him after he had risen from the dead, but he washed his feet anyway. He washed coward's feet because everybody except John ran away when Jesus was crucified and they hid, and he washed all those coward's feet. He washed ignorant feet because none of them had any idea what he was up to. He washed selfish feet because they were more concerned about themselves. As a matter of fact, James and John were wondering who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven rather than, Lord, what, what's going on? He washed self-justifying feet. He washed prideful feet. But like I said a little earlier, Jesus could see the future. Jesus knew the future. And he didn't know just his future. He knew all of their futures. So while he was washing all of that negativity, he was also washing heroes' feet, courageous feet, martyrs' feet, gospel feet, the beautiful feet that would bring good news to the world because he could see what they could never see that even though they would have this dark time of crisis, that because of the Holy Spirit inside of them, they were going to rise above it and they were going to do incredible things to turn a world right side up that had been upside down with the name of Jesus. And you know what? That's exactly what he sees when he looks at you. He won't skip over you. 
He won't reject you. He won't marginalize you. He won't leave you. In John 14, verses 25 and 26, it says, all this I have spoken while I was still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Wow. That he's not going to leave us as orphans. That he's with us right now. When we have Jesus Christ living inside of us, walking with us because we have chosen to walk with him, his Holy Spirit isn't just beside us. He dwells within us because he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Even if we're home, even if we can't assemble in a building, he won't leave you. He won't forsake you. This is what he will do. He will walk with you. He will walk with you right now. The question is whether or not you're willing to walk with him. Will you walk with him? I want you to think about that as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.